Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. I'm going to read from God's holy word from Psalm 73, if you'd like to turn there. I'll be reading from the ESV. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them to fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near the God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. This is the word of the Lord. Cheers, Ben. Uh, Guys, stay in um, Psalm 73. Uh, Keep your Bibles open because we're basically going to be kind of walking through it together and and going through that. Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis. When I was dead broke, man, I couldn't picture this. 50-inch screen, money green, leather sofa. Got two rides, a limousine with the chauffeur. Phone bill about 2G's flat. No need to worry, my accountant handles that. 
and my whole crew is lounging, celebrating every day, no more public housing. These aren't my lyrics. Um, <laughs> these are the words of uh, the notorious B.I.G., uh, sometimes known as Christopher Wallace, and they're from a song called Juicy, uh, which appears in his debut album released in September 1994 called Ready to Die. I looked up this album recently on the internet, and uh, an online description says that the lyrical themes of the album are violence, drug dealing, women, alcohol, marijuana use, and other elements of the notorious B.I.G.'s environment. After hearing it a little bit again recently, I thought, you know, I'd delve into the archives and uh, have, a, have a little listen. I'd probably more specifically describe the lyrical content as unashamedly and boastfully violent, extremely sexist, profoundly blasphemous, and most of the time, downright disgusting. I was reading up on the album a little bit more, and since its release in 1994, the album's gone quadruple platinum, quadruple platinum, and it's been regarded by many critics as the greatest hip-hop album of all time. I remember buying this album as a young an impressionable teenager. And uh, I didn't just learn all the words to this song, Juicy. I studied and I admired the whole of the notorious B.I.G.'s lifestyle. A lifestyle which it completely contradicted my own lifestyle. My life was nothing like it. But yet, I envied it. It was something that I longed to be like. Uh, a lifestyle uh, which was obviously evil but one which seems to prosper nonetheless. Uh, we see uh, a similar story here in, in Psalm 23. Uh, sorry, Psalm 73. <laughs> Could have been nasty, preaching the completely wrong sermon. Psalm 73. Because um, it addresses this issue of envy, and, but specifically here, envy in the wicked. And some of you, when you hear this word envy, you might think of the, the ten, tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet. I remember as a, a young Christian, I never thought this commandment applied to me, mainly because I, I didn't have a clue what covet meant. So like for years, I was just like, thou shalt not covet. <laughs> Nailed it. But I just didn't actually know what, what, that it meant like being envious of people and, and wanting what they have. So I, I, I never thought it applied to me. But this is a big issue. This is a big issue for lots of us. It's a big issue for me as I'm going about my day-to-day -day business in this day and age, especially as a Christian. And we see this world around us that's been flung into our face and we can sometimes cover. So Psalm 73 uh, is, is a wisdom psalm, and it's written by a guy called Asaph. We don't know much about him, but he was uh, a Levite, uh, part of David's kind of crew, and um, it was probably written around the time of the Babylonian exile, so possibly a lot of God's people, the Jews, a lot of people of Israel being influenced by outsiders, by other people, by other cultures. Um, so that kind of is something to think about as we're reading this. Notice then the opening line that we get in Psalm uh, 73. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. God is, he is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. He is good to people who love him wholeheartedly. I know that's true. I know it is, as opposed to the ones who arrogantly love prosperity. I know that this is true. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. He knows it's true, but there's a problem. There's a problem, and this problem is envy. 
I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Even though he knows this statement's true, Asaph, as he writes, he's writing in frustration. He knows that God is good to Israel, but there's this problem of envy. Envy is the arrogant. And I kind of want to break down uh, into kind of three uh, points this morning uh, of looking at what causes this envy. What is the cause of uh, Asaph's foot to almost slip as we read in this passage? What's causing him to feel envious? What's the cure for this envy? And then where is the change? Where does the change come in? So first of all, uh, the cause. Let's look at the details of the passage. Hopefully you've got the, the passage uh, open in front of you. Let's look at the people that Asaph is describing uh, in this psalm. First of all, in verse 4, he says, they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. So these are people who are enjoying good health with seemingly kind of no consequences for reckless living. I know uh, a guy who, who I work with uh, uh, during the week and he goes to a, a weekly Weight Watchers group and he, he blatantly goes because he, he, he likes to, to talk to the ladies. Um, this is fine, you might think. But he was telling me once about how um, a lady was upset because he was talking about how the fact that he, he's still been eating peanut butter on toast every day, but he's lost like three pounds. And like he must have been like subconsciously bragging about this. And someone was you know, disappointed about that. And, and, and that's like a, a small example, but there's people around us who are like living reckless. They're living reckless and they're boasted about it and they seem to be getting better. They seem to be moving forward. They're losing weight at Weight Watchers despite the peanut butter on toast. Verse 6, they're arrogant. They're arrogant for everyone to see. In verse 6 it says, therefore, therefore their pride is a necklace. Their pride's a necklace. I don't know about you, but a lot of times when we buy a necklace... You, you buy it so people can see it. Um, you don't spend all these money on, on diamonds or gold or whatever it is you're wearing just to, to, to tuck in your shirt necessarily. But these are people who are wearing arrogance for everyone to see. They're not tucking it in. They're pulling it out for everyone to see. They're flaunting it, showing it. They're not, they're, not, they're not ashamed of their arrogance. They're proud of it. And they don't mind everyone seeing it. They're happy for it to be on show. Verse 6 also talks about violence covering them as a garment. So it's almost implying that they're bullies. They throw their weight around. They're arrogant. They're throwing their weight around. They don't care. They're making their presence known. I love verse 7. It's it's very uh, descriptive. It says that their eyes swell out through fatness and their hearts overflow through, through follies. I've never seen anyone's eyes sticking out through fatness, but this must have been a really crazy sight. It speaks of someone, perhaps more than just physically, but... A, a, a gluttony that is beyond gluttony itself. They could just drink water. I'm, I'm a guy who, when I go out to eat, save a bit of cash, so I always ask for the tap water. Do you know what I mean? Like, go for the main course. And, and I always pretend like I wasn't going to order it. Like, um, you know, I'll just have a tap water. Like, I, knew, I don't know. I was always going to order tap water. I don't know why I had to style it out like that. They could just drink tap water. They could just do that. But they're ordering milkshakes. I don't know if you've ever been to Ed's Diner, but their, their milkshakes are about 28 pounds. They're ordering milkshakes when they could have just had tap water. They're, they're beyond gluttonous. It's ridiculous. Their level of greed. They lack understanding and they're foolish. They not only, in verse 8, defend uh, oppression, but they advocate it 
Look at verse 8. They scoff and they speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They speak, they speak badly of the poor as if they're animals. They're the sort that like spit on the homeless guy in the street. Going on as if it's completely their fault. It's because of their terrible life decisions that they've been making. Those guys are idiots. They, they, they talk loftily. You know there's people who they talk and, and when they talk they expect everyone to be in awe of what they're saying. Patting them on the back. They expect all the world to stand in awe of what they're saying as they're talking. Listen, behold, I'm about to share with you my wisdom. Let me update my Facebook status for all to see. They expect everyone to be amazed at what they say. As if they have some deep wisdom. Verse 9. More, more seriously and more sincere, uh, it's, um, sinister. Uh, they set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. They set themselves up as almost demigods. They're more important than God. The things that they say hold, holds more weight. And again, we get this really um, visual picture of their tongue strutting through the earth. I think of this slimy tongue like strutting down the street and like leaving a trail of like nastiness as it's going. It's really visual. But yet, despite all of these shocking things, this shocking behavior, this just repulsive attitude that's disgusting, verse 10, the people turn back to them and they find no fault in them. Find no fault in them whatsoever. Carries on to say that these people say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? They mock God. They mock the whole idea or existence of God. They mock people who believe uh, in the idea that there is a God who exists. They scoff at them. They laugh uh, in the face of it. Say it's a ridiculous idea. How could this ever happen? If God does exist, how could he ever even possibly understand what's going on here on the earth? How could he possibly know? And verse 12 summarizes all of this perfectly, these first few verses. It says, Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in their riches. These people are the problem. These are the stumbling blocks. These are the the wicked sinners who deserve to be punished, but only instead their life continues to get better. There's no consequence to their actions. As we look at them, we think, what's the point? The people who, although we might not admit it, although we might not use the word, we feel it, we hate them, and we hate them the most. It is the Facebook friend who's updating their status, regularly gossiping, bad-mouthing other people, looking down on those that have less than them. Uh, But in the same day, the same status even, they might flaunt their excessive lifestyle, put up pictures of their new shoes, their laptop, their fitness regime, their, at the swanky gym where they've been going with the, the plants by the pool and all that sort of business. <laughs> their, their exotic holidays, which they always seem to be on. It's the guy who you used to share an office with who, while you were grafting, he was playing Angry Birds all day on his phone. And now he just got the promotion. Now he drives an Audi Jeep. You've seen them, you've seen them cars, they park themselves. You don't even have to do anything. You just, I don't know if I'd trust it, but he's got the, he's got the Jeep that parks itself. It's like... It's the woman who, who no longer needs church or Christianity since she found her husband. And so never needs to worry about anything or anyone else ever again. But there are people much worse than these as well. Ones who arrogantly put themselves first 
They put God last and they mock anyone who doesn't do the same as them. And the worst thing is that they prosper. I'm angry when I think about these guys. I'm angry. I'm so angry when I see them. I'm angry because they're doing well. I'm angry because they're prospering. People look at them and they're patting them on the back. And I almost did as well. Asaph, who's written this psalm, is angry because God's promises to Israel, they're not true. They're simply not true. Look at verse 13. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. He's looking at everything and saying, what is the point of this? What is the point of me keeping my heart clean? The wages of holiness equal affliction. They equal suffering. It's got no advantage. In the temporary, this just seems all in vain. There's no point to it. God's good to the pure in heart. I know this is true, but he's not being good to me. In fact, in verse 14, all day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. Verse 15, he's about to share it. He's about to make his, his, his feelings known. <laughs> he's about to update his status. But then he realizes, you know what, if I'd have said this, if I'd said that I would speak this, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. He was about to share his thoughts publicly, but it isn't always wise. I don't know if any of you have ever had someone close to you. It might have been a a spiritual mother or father, a mentor who you've looked up to over the years, and then one day they just say, you know what, I just don't really see the point of this anymore. You know, I just don't, I don't see the point. This is pointless. You know that if if you've experienced that, it's one of the most discouraging things. This person who seemed so strong, this person who you looked up to, you followed their example. When you thought Christianity, you thought this person. And now they're not seeing the point. And Asaph here wisely chooses to perhaps keep this to himself. Verse 16, in keeping it to himself, it's difficult. When I thought of how to understand this, it became... It seemed a, a wearisome task. And for some of us, holding on to these feelings, holding on to these thoughts, living out these struggles is a wearisome task. We, we, we drag ourselves to church sometimes. We drag ourselves through life, looking around us and thinking, I'm so tired. I'm so tired of this being in vain. I'm so tired of holding down this job which isn't getting me anywhere while my brother or sister is doing some shady business and prospering we're tired but then we get to the cure verse 17 it says it was a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God then I discerned their end until I went into the sanctuary of God then I discerned their end this is a key verse in this passage. This is like the turning point. It's like the, the hinge of the door was open, now it's closed, or it's closed, now it's open. It's a complete turning point. It's like, I don't know if you've ever been to the cinema and you went to watch a 3D film and then you realized that you had to pay extra, like £4 for the glasses. So you're like, nah, nah. So you went to watch the 3D film without the glasses. It's just, it doesn't look good. Like, or or one, if one came on, a, on TV, if you're watching a 3D film without 3D glasses, it's, it's not a good experience at all. You're not getting your money's worth. This verse is like this person putting on the 3D glasses. 
A better example might be that if you ever watched a film which has a twist at the end, if you then go back and watch that film again, you watch it completely differently, like knowing the twist at the end. I remember watching a film and someone told me the twist before I watched it. And so like, as I was watching it, I was looking around like, clouds. You ain't got, you ain't got a clue, have you? Like, do you know what I mean? Because I knew what was going to happen. I knew that whatever, he was, he was dead really, or whatever, I don't know. Whatever the twist was in the film, I knew it already. And it completely changed the way I watched that film. Until I went into the sanctuary. Asaph was, was a Levite. If you know anything about Levites, you know that they had this privilege of, of going into the Holy of Holies. They were, they were priests. And this was a place where only he could go. Perhaps in going there, he realized that, you know what? The wicked can't come here. The wicked can't experience this presence of God, this face-to-face presence. Maybe it was that. Maybe something changed through Asaph meeting through fellow believers. But whether in the direct presence of God or, or whether meeting collectively and worshiping with his people, he then discerned their end. He discerned that end. He'd previously, he'd seen too little to be able to judge it, to be able to think right. He's now been given a, a wider view. He's now put on the 3D glasses. He now knows the twist to the film, and he's going out and he's watching the film again. Sometimes we get so discouraged. I know I speak somewhat for myself. I get so discouraged. I get, I get so distracted by the world around me, which seems to prosper off wickedness, that we... And I don't want to go to church. You know, I don't want to be around Christians because it seems like it's in vain. I don't see the point in picking up the Bible and reading it. Where's that going to get me? We don't see the point in fellowshipping with other followers. It's a waste of time and it amounts to nothing at the end of the day. But it's here. It's here. It's here what we're doing this morning or this afternoon. It's when we come into the sanctuary of God where we put on our 3D glasses where we understand. It's where, it's here that we remember the twist at the end of the film. I don't know if, uh, I hope I, I didn't use this example with you guys last time, but it, it's a helpful one. I don't know if you've ever come to church and, and really felt like you've experienced God or you heard from God and then you go home and you put on the TV and it's X Factor. X Factor seems like the biggest load of rubbish you've ever seen in your life. You see people like crying like, Oh, I just want to be famous, or this and that. And you just think, what an absolute waste of time. Like, I can't believe you're crying tears on TV over, I don't know, some, some, I can't name any songs, but over some old school song and then making up a story about something or other to get the crowd sympathy and whatnot. But you think, what a waste of time. I don't know if you've ever read your, your Bible in the morning, and then got on the train and, and just heard someone's conversation or, or picked up the metro and, and read the first page and you think, this is absolute nonsense. This is a joke. You're seeing it for what it really is. You're seeing people chasing the wind all over the place. I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned that end. I discerned that end. Then there's a change. So that's the cure. And we can't, we can't forget this cure Sometimes the, the irony is, and we all know this, we hear, hear people saying it time and time again, that the cure is the very thing that we, we run away from. You know, we know when, that, when we're feeling the most discouraged, we run away from the cure. We don't go for the cure. We avoid it. But it's here where we see change. It's here where we see change. Look at verse 18. It says, 
Asaph's now clocking what's ha- actually going on. He sees it completely different from the get-go. Truly you, talking to God, set them in slippery place- places. You make them fall to ruin. We now see that they're not just there by, tr- by chance. They're not just there because they've worked really hard to get themselves there. Truly, just as God is good to those who are pure in heart, he and his sovereignty has equally put those who oppose him where they are, even though it might not look like it. We, ben and I had the, the, the privilege of having Duncan Forbes come talk to us at college this week, and he, he drew for this verse in Acts 17, and it says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. He know God in his sovereignty knows exactly where he's going to place us, not just in location, but in period of time on earth and uh, in, with, with whom and in uh, what area g- geographically. What previously looked like a position of prosperity in Asaph looking at these people can now be seen for what it is, a slippery place a place where they fall in ruin, where God in his sovereignty places us where we are. He places his people where he wants them, but he also places those who would oppose him where they are as well. The things which we look at in the world and they seem so safe, they seem so secure, are destroyed in a moment. They're like a dream when one awakes. Earlier, I quoted lyrics from Notorious B.I.G. and the opening line of that song, loads of people know it, it was all a dream. His dream ended on the 9th of March in 1997. Aged just 24 years old, he was shot in Los Angeles in a drive-by shooting. Whether prematurely or in old age, a judgment awaits those who oppose God and love prosperity. Asaph, he realizes this. He realizes this uh, now, but... In doing so, he sees his own ignorance as well. He realizes what an idiot he's been to think otherwise. Verse 21 and 22 says, When my soul was embittered, when I was, prickled, uh, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. When we put on the 3D glasses, we sometimes have to acknowledge and say, Lord, I've been such a donut. I'm so sorry. We realize that by looking and envying these people and thinking that they're in a place of prosperity, we've been so foolish in thinking that. We've been so shallow in looking at that and envying it and envying those people, envying their position. We realize that we've been so shallow. But look at God's grace. Even though he was brutish and ignorant, even though we are brutish and ignorant, 23, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand my right hand even though he'd been thinking i guess almost like an animal in his in his ignorance instead of a, a child of god um or or like someone who was pure in heart god hasn't forsaken him god's still with him um notice how before asaph was was talking about these people and he was focusing uh, on they 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 all the way through uh, verses 1 to 12 now He's focused on you, 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 meaning God. Before his eyes were on the world, now he's looking to God. 
this wonderful God who, who, who's holding his right hand, he's not only holding him and holding us and guiding us here, like while we're here on earth, but he'll guide us into glory as well. He'll lead us into glory in the future. And it's, uh, it's this future which encourages him that it's not all in vain, as it seems at times. Trying to live a life of service uh, unto God, resisting sin and seeking your heavenly father is not in vain. None of these things are in vain. Jesus sums this up amazingly when he's talking about the Sermon on the Mount, uh, when he's speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. In other words, don't lay up things that are just going to last for a moment. What's 80 years or 70 years by God's grace compared to eternity? What is it? Moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal those things. But instead, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Look at verse 25. What's this treasure? Well, who, whom have I in heaven but you? Speaking of Jesus. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Who can honestly say that? Can we honestly say that? There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. What a beautiful thing to say. What an amazing thing to say. What a great perspective that would be to have. To be able to look at things. To look at people. To look at circumstances and say, you know what? There's nothing I desire more than Jesus. So this verse, it's ultimately talking about Jesus. And and Jesus, he would have empathized with Asaph. And he empathizes with our struggles completely. As a son of God, he didn't lay aside just shallow material things in becoming flesh. But more importantly, he laid aside his riches in glory. Have you ever thought about how significant that is? That's amazing. Before uh, kind of the end of last year, uh, Ben and I had the privilege of, of speaking to the youth. And one of the things we were saying is, if a human, if I as a human being, we've got billions of cells inside us, right? Like billions, like they, they think it might even be trillions. I don't really know the difference, but there's loads of cells. Like, but they said if humans took on the, 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 the form of a one-celled plant or whatever at the bottom of the, the ocean, if we did that, if we were like, you know, I'm going to become a one, I'm going to go from my trillion cells, I'm going to become a one-celled plant at the bottom of the ocean, that wouldn't come close to what Jesus did in taking on flesh. It wouldn't come close to even comparing. We usually compare it to ridiculous things, like what if a human became a skunk? Yeah, it wouldn't compare. Even if we came something ridiculous, ridiculously small and insignificant, it wouldn't compare. It wouldn't even compare to what Jesus did. Paul tells us in Corinthians that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Material things pale in comparison to what we have in heaven, and more importantly, to who we have in heaven. Our view now changes. There's an exchange. What appeared to be in vain before is now worth everything. It's worth everything to us, and vice versa. What seemed to be worth something before, perhaps, you now realize it's worth nothing. Material things, even our pride and our reputation is worth nothing. Verse 26, it says that my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 
uh, our flesh and our heart will fail. We're going to die one day. But God is the strength of my heart and is my portion forever, not just here on earth, but forever. He's the blood in my veins. He's the reason that I'm living. He's what's keeping me alive. With our new eyesight that we get through realizing this, we understand that those far from God by their wicked works will perish. And we also realize that it's good for us to be near God, as we see in verse 28. Why? Because when we're near God, we don't envy the arrogant, or we're not tempted, or we're not discouraged by the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph, he may have had the privilege uh, of being close to God uh, in a limited sense as a, as a Levi priest when he went into the Holy of Holies. But we now have this privilege even more through Jesus and his removal of our sin through death. And because of this, we can now be called pure in heart. At the beginning, we said, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. The fact is that for a lot of us, I know it does for me, when we point the finger at the wicked, it so often points straight back at me. It points straight back at us. We're so often selfish. We're so often proud. We're so often arrogant. We're so often greedy. We talk rubbish expecting to get a pat on the back. We might not speak against God with our mouths openly, but we do it with our actions and we do it in our hearts. But praise God for Jesus because through him, we can be called pure in heart. We don't deserve that. We should be right in that category with the wicked. We deserve to perish. We deserve judgment. But instead, God is good to us, so pure in heart. Previously, where Asaph almost perhaps could have caused damage by talking about his discouragement publicly, updating his Facebook status or sending a tweet or whatever, back in verse 15, we can now boldly and unshamedly tell of his works. What a contrast. Verse 15, he was about to, to say how discouraged he is, how fed up he is, how this is all in vain. But now in verse 28, I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell of your works. I don't know what, you, what you're passionate about, but when I was a fan of Notorious B.I.G., I felt like I could, I could talk about him quite a lot, about the songs I liked, recited a, a few more lyrics um, talked about a bit about his lifestyle. And in this day, day and age, I, I waste a lot of time just talking about rubbish, like talking about things which I'm envious of, talking about people which, which do my head in, talking about situations where I feel discouraged. But in drawing close to God, we've got unending things to talk about, stuff, things that overflow. We know his, his wonderful word, those of us who are Christians, we know it. And if you've made the, the Lord God your refuge, don't ever grow weary of telling his wonderful works. Don't grow weary of it and, and, and spreading the truth of this gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus who, he made himself poor so that we could be rich. This is great news. This is great news. Truly God is good to us. Truly God is good to us. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are good to us. Lord, although we should be put into the category of these wicked people, as we see in the, the, the first category, and, and the truth is so often we're discouraged by the wickedness of the world around us. Even worse than that, Lord, sometimes we 
envy. Sometimes it causes us to look at ourselves and think, what is the point in doing what I'm doing? All of this I'm doing in vain. It's worthless. But Father, I pray that through worship, through meeting with uh, fellow believers, our brothers and sisters, through reading your word, Lord, that you'd help us to put on those 3D glasses, so to speak, Lord, that we'd understand what the world truly is, that we'd realize their end, and we'd realize our end as well, an end which we don't deserve, Lord, but through you, Lord, we have treasures in heaven. Whom have I in heaven but you? Lord, it's so exciting. It's such good news. Help us to live by that rather than being discouraged by the world around us. Thank you that you truly are good to us. You truly are good to Israel, to God's people, to us, Lord, your people, to those who are pure in heart. Help us to live uh, by this promise, Lord, knowing that you're good to us. In Jesus' name, amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.